Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Um, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast. This is a special edition of the Villa Talks podcast. I'm joined by two very special guests today and we're going to be talking about some pretty serious issues and, and some really important issues and, and quite poignant issues uh, today and this evening. Uh, we're going to be talking about what's going on in the footballing world around pay-per-view uh, and the big picture stuff and the European Super League. But More importantly, we're talking about the intentions behind all of that and uh, Premier Greed as it's been known. In the context of what's going on in the country and, and the globe as a whole in this current socio-economic climate uh, and talk about what Aston Villa's responsibility as a club is to its local community. Uh, and I'm pleased to be joined by two people who are very much at the forefront of their own local communities, uh, both in Birmingham and, and in Wales, um, and really understand what's going on in their communities and, and sort of see it day to day and really understand the issues at heart. Uh, and we're going to have a pretty, well, I suppose, an open conversation as much as possible uh, because this is an issue that's very much close to all of our hearts and really should be for all football fans um, considering it's you know it's a very much a working class sport uh, and that's where its roots lie. Uh, firstly I'd like to introduce Kerry. Kerry how are you? Hi nice uh, yeah you on. oh good thanks nice to be good. here. Good 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 very very popular this week you're going to be doing a, a, a few well another podcast uh, you're going to do one with uh, James Rushton of Birmingham Mail uh, I think tomorrow or the next day. Yep. Um, so, so you're you're in demand. <laughs> so it seems, but no, it's great to be um, raising these issues and having people kind of take notice. Um, so yeah, happy to be involved. Perfect, perfect. And Chris, how you doing, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's a bit of an honour to be on with Kerry as well. I've always uh, spoke to her on Twitter and respected what she's done in her community. So it's good to uh, have a chat. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Kerry, you're very much a celebrity around these parts. Oh, I don't uh, know about for, that. <laughs> for, all, for all the good work you do, which is which is good, but 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 more importantly, I think you know you both more so than than most people on Twitter that I've come across. You know, you really understand what's going on in your sort of local communities, and I think that's going to be really important for what we discussed today in in the context of what's going on in the footballing world. Uh, I suppose before we start and delve deep into you know the local communities and the work that you guys are doing. Um, I'd be good to be good to hear your thoughts on on what's going on in the footballing world. Firstly, obviously, it's been the the issue of pay per view um, and, and, and the pay per view games um, and having to pay for these games games ordinarily that we would in a normal environment be able to go and watch and be at the ground, um, but uh, we're not able to. So at this present time, the Premier League have decided to charge fans fourteen pound ninety five for some of these games, and there's been to say a bit of an uproar and uh, a bit of a backlash around around that um so far i mean just some stats for you so far i saw today that the nine games have yielded revenue of about 5.2 million pounds um which is which is unfortunately more than i expected but still not probably as much as the premier league expected um kerry firstly i'd be interested to hear your thoughts around you know what's behind that and you know what what your thoughts are initially on that and, and do you understand it from the from the club's perspective as well in terms of trying to bring revenue in in this current environment i think the first thing to say is i can understand obviously they're losing gate money they're losing ticket money but 
these are not poor clubs. Um, these are clubs that are very rich, um, monetary, but also asset rich. Um, they don't really need um, these fees coming in at the moment. I mean, you only have to look at the transfer window and how much money was spent over a billion um, and they want to take fourteen ninety five off of, you know, loyal supporters. Um, yeah, I think it's outrageous, to be honest. Um, and I think rightly there has been uproar around this. Um, you know, people are in current situations, you know, losing their jobs or friends and family are losing their jobs. Um, things are on a bit of a downturn economically. And people, especially for some fans who have already actually had to pay money to reserve their season ticket seats. Um, obviously, we haven't had to at the Villa, but other clubs have. Um, to then add another pay barrier on top of that is, yeah, it's, it's not right. It doesn't sit right with me at all. Chris, do you do you understand it from the um, from the club's perspective in terms of, you know, we're all clamouring for signings and 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 you know the next big signing. You know, we all wanted us to sign more players. In order to do that, obviously, we need to bring revenue in. Do you understand it from the club's perspective at all? Um, I'm not too sure, really, because you could say, you know, these a lot of these owners are billionaires. They've been making money off the pandemic, really, haven't they? So, I'm sure, if you track down some of their some of their uh, businesses, they've probably been making money, but. I just think it just goes back to them not knowing what world fans live in, really. I mean, fourteen ninety five per game is insane, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember the old days of uh, Premier Plus, was it? Or, uh, yeah. Back on Sky, um, when it was maybe, I don't know what it was, maybe five, seven pounds, maybe sometimes ten pounds. I can't quite remember what it was, it but was I remember five. paying. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think it was something like that. I mean, do you, Kerry, do you, think if, do you think it was a bit of an own goal, firstly? Do you think fans would have been more willing to accept to pay pay for games if the price was say ten pound or five pound rather than the fourteen pound fifty five, do do you think it was a, a bit of an own goal to set the price at that limit, knowing full well what was going on in, in the current? Yeah, climate? I mean, I would be interested to see how they kind of came to the fourteen ninety five. I know, I mean, working in marketing, you don't say fifteen, you say fourteen ninety five as if it's going to make it sound cheaper. Um, it's the standard kind of to dupe people. Um, but I mean, at a time where people can't even have their families and friends around to share the cost, like it's a lot for people to be putting out. And I don't think it's been fairly um, kind of put across teams. For example, with the Villa, I mean, we're paying three times in the last three weeks whereas Man City is zero. Um, it just doesn't seem to, there doesn't seem to be any sense to it, to that number or to how they're working out the games. I think if they would have come in with £5, people would have been maybe a little bit more willing. You know, five, it doesn't sound that much, but some people out of principle would still be like, well, I'm not paying any more than I already pay. So I think it's it would be hard to get the figure anyway. I think you're always going to have people that are dead set against it some people might be turned by a cheaper price other people maybe not yeah it's an interesting one it's it's, it's all assumption based isn't it really you mm. don't really know what's going to happen um it was a really good article that tim spears did for the athletic um at, along with some other journalists where they got the views of the fans across the country and, and luckily enough he asked me to to contribute to that and, and i gave my sort of piece as well um, but it was quite interesting to hear the views of lots of different fans from from across the country and hear what they thought. And, and I, I very much think that the the marginal loss or marginal gain of of um, having the price point of fourteen pound ninety five is minimal. Uh, you know, you know myself, I'm, I'm an uh, you know I did economics at uh, university, so I sort of understand supply and demand. Although that kind of knowledge is is 
long way away now <laughs> for, for me. But you know, I, I think if they if they put the price to ten pound, I think the extra revenue they would have extra um, subscribers or, or purchases that they would have got would have made up the difference. Um, and, and it wouldn't have been that much difference in terms of the total revenue that they've got. And, and I'm sure some games have been, you know, really in demand uh, on, on pay-per-view, but then some games, which, you know, without going into which which games, you know, I'm sure there were some games there that not many fans would have paid for, apart from maybe some 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 of the fans who are supporting those clubs. Not many neutral fans, I imagine, would have paid for. So it's a difficult one, I think, and uh, they've said they're going to, Keep it at that price point for now until the international break, and then and then move forward. But there certainly seems to be a, a clamour from the broadcasters to change it. And there was some news over the weekend around Sky and BT not being happy with the Premier League. I mean, Kerry, what were your what were your thoughts on that? And do you think they have a leg to stand on considering you know how they make their money and how they charge fans? I think it's probably um, trying to save face in a way, you know, coming out and saying, oh, well, we were never on board with that price. Um, you know, we, we didn't want to go with that is the kind of standard or oh, it didn't work. So what can we say? Um, I think that in all honesty, they're probably as bad as each other. I mean, you only have to look at Sky packages, for example, to see you know, the prices go up every year, don't they? And sometimes they put prices up without people having any say so over them. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably more about saving face than it is about actually having the morals to say, you know, this this is wrong. Um, I'll be intrigued to see what does happen, um, you know, whether the numbers drop off or kind of stall and then they decide, oh, this isn't working. But then, you know, what happens to the games then? Are they just not shown at all? Do the clubs take on some sort of, you know, like AVTV? Um, yeah, what is the next step? I mean, talking of morals there, um, obviously a, a club close to our heart, Aston Villa, this is what this podcast is about, were one of the clubs that uh, were for this price point and were for this uh, charging on the pay-per-view games. Chris, do you think, I mean, did you, do you, did you expect more of our club or, or are you are you not really that surprised given where the Premier League is at currently and where football is at currently in terms of money and, and the greed around the game? Yeah, I think it's more of an indictment on the game, really, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't expect Villa to stand, you know, stand equal on every issue. But I mean, I read that they didn't know about price, the price point, but I'm not sure. But either way, I think we could have uh, got a better deal out of that than 14.95. Yeah, I um, mean, Kerry, your thoughts on, on the club? Did you, did you expect better? Um, <laughs> I think that it goes to show just sometimes how out of touch the club can be with its fans. And I know that the Villa are working to try and connect more with their fans. Um, there's some work going on in the background to try and, you know, see see what exactly, you know, the fans want. What do they expect from their Villa experience? Um, and I think that they're not quite there, that, there yet. Um, and that's why they probably did vote for it. And yeah, whether there's... I don't know. Uh, one thing that I find really hard is that you've got these like business people that are in charge of football clubs. Yes, they are a business, but a lot of them are from um, external. So they don't have the same connection that, you know, if it was, say, a fan running the club, they'd be like, no, I wouldn't pay that. Whereas if it's a, a business mind, then it's a slightly different. Um, it's just like, you know, B2C rather than like customer to customer. So, yeah, I think that's probably where the disconnect comes from. Do you think fan representation on the board would help? Do you think that's that's the next step? 
Definitely. I think the more that you involve fans in what's happening at clubs, the better experience it will be for the fans, for the club, um, for the community. I think that it has to be a well-rounded, wholesome experience with everybody involved. It can't just be, you know, one kind of dictating to another, which is exactly what has happened with this PPV. Um, You know, we've been dictated a price and there's been a backlash. Whereas if there was some sort of consultation beforehand, then they might have been able to work to to a better outcome for everyone. Chris, um, you know, we're talking about what the club needs to do and how how they can get closer to the community, closer to the fan base. Do you do you think that, that actually we need a bit of a reality check here and realise that that Premier League is big business? You know, it's a it's a global business. Um, it's one of the football in general is one of the biggest businesses in the world. Do you think we just need to accept that the fact that? You know, there's huge revenues involved, and and for that for that to be run efficiently, for the club to be successful, do you think we need to accept that the club's going to be run as a business, and there's going to be certain people in the background that aren't from Villa or, or even affiliated with Villa, but aren't good at what they do in terms of their own role? So, for example, Christian Perslow obviously has no real connection to Aston Villa uh, until he came into the role, um, but he's worked in football before. But very much, he's is your atyp- is your typical CEO, modern businessman. Uh, modern business mind, uh, Premier League CEO. Do you think? Do you think we need to accept that uh, as fans? I think it wouldn't hurt for them to, you know, uh, mobilise with the fans and set a good example. I think that would bring more business in in the future. I mean, we have to accept some things. I mean, you know, betting betting sponsors are always going to happen now because you just can't really have a football club in the Premier League without one. But like Kerry said, they've got to speak to the fans more about these issues, or or they'll lose. They'll lose people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you, Kerry, do you think the, the fan base is, is a little bit alienated at the moment? Uh, not just the Villa fan base, but, but in football in general. In some ways, um, some clubs are very good at connecting with their fans. Um, now, this, for me, does seem to be, you know, lower league clubs. Um, I don't know whether it's just because they kind of live and breathe their community more. So they're connected with their fans, often people within, you know, their community, local businesses are within the club as well. Um, so just on a very low level, I mean, I uh, do some voluntary work with the Moors and, you know, their chairman is very much involved in their community. Um, so I think they could probably learn a few things, the Premier League clubs from some of the lower leagues in terms of how to connect with their fans, um, how to just not be seen to be making pure business decisions. Um, I feel like in any business, the, the better you know your customer, the better experience it's going to be for them and for you. So, yeah, no, it's a it's a valid point, and uh, you know, uh, it's very hard to disagree with that point. You know, it, it just works, especially in the in the business like football, which is wholly, as we've seen, you know, with no fans being in the ground. You know, it's a completely different game without fans, um, and it's not the same product. You know, these uh, you hear um, execs in football call it a product and call it the customers, and, and, and fans hate it, but in reality, that's where we're at. And, and as a product, it's been diluted massively with no fans and 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 I, and I do fear with what's going on with pay-per-view and also the big picture stuff which we'll touch on now that fans are going to get alienated from the game and and you know we'll look at local clubs uh like the more like Swallow Moors or you know whichever club it is near you uh, and and try and get that sense of belonging again uh, of being part of a community which which football was in essence at the beginning wasn't it um yeah. back in the day it was a working class game well, I feel like football is also very tribal and people like, you know, some people would 
go to the ends of the earth for their football team. They live and breathe it like it is their life. Their life revolves around it. Um, for me, like my weekends would be fully booked up with Villa. Like I'd know exactly where I was going to be. Like any given weekend, you could ask me, I'd be like, oh yeah, we've got Newcastle away. That's how, like, that's how your life is as a football fan. It's very tribal. So I feel like to connect with people who are that engaged and involved with with a club with you know it is their first love um then yeah you have to get more on their level or else you're just going to be a kind of closed door turned away um and that's where the you know calling fans customers is like the first step in really annoying people like they don't want to be seen as customers they're fan supporters you know loyalists to an to an extent so yeah i mean i mean that part of that um, has now seen the introduction of well, not the introduction, but the rumblings now of the big picture stuff and, and breaking away from from the Premier League. These these sort of six clubs that potentially might break away and start their own league, although they're saying it's going to be you know still uh, the Premier League. They're still going to be involved in the Premier League, and this is going to be a separate thing. You know, you, we all know where this is all heading towards, uh, and especially clubs in Europe who don't have the same revenues as clubs in the Premier League. You know, they seem very keen, and we saw the Barcelona outgoing president. Uh, talking about how Barcelona have agreed to to join any sort of European Super League that's set up, Chris. I mean, what are your thoughts on on the, on sort of the big picture stuff and uh, the European Super League uh, in, in general? I mean, do, I mean, do, I mean, part of me thinks that actually, you know, we'll be better off without some of these clubs, and we can just hit the big reset button and, and start football back to what it, what it used to be like. But what, what are your thoughts? Do you think the, the Premier League will be diluted if these clubs are left? I think, yeah, I think the, the likes of Sky would take their TV money away, wouldn't they, to, to the big, the new big uh, Super League. And I think it just shows that like, certain clubs, like Man United, especially, like, steeped in history and Liverpool, like, they're becoming more corporations than clubs. I mean, if I was a uh, Man United or Liverpool fan, I'd be fuming. If Villa did that, I'd be absolutely gutted. I mean, there seems to be a lot of backlash from those fans as well, which is yeah, good, to, good, good. To, good to see as well, because, you know, they could very much easily say, well, it's good news for us. You know, we're going to be better and bigger and uh, forget the Premier League. But there does seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of backlash from those fans. So hopefully that's not sort of uh, attitude sticks. But, um, you know, Kerry, I mean, is this just part of the bigger picture in terms of, you know, this is where football's going uh, and we have to accept it? Or do you, do you think there's a way that we can fight back? And, and do you think there's a... There's a way that the the fans and, and the club, like like a club like Aston Villa, who are again steeped in history, albeit not had a great recent history in the Premier League, do you think there's there's a there's a role for us here to actually fight for the Premier League and fight for what football used to be like? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, you know, um, if we have a think about the PPV stuff, like it's very clear that fans do have a voice, and um, when something irritates them or frustrates them, um, then they can be mobilised in a way, in a sense. And I feel like that will probably happen if these plans go any further, because as a football fan, I don't want that. Like, and I, I don't feel like many people, even you know, you get people who just might watch an odd game on a weekend. The, the Premier League is steeped in history for those reasons. Like people love the Premier League. They don't want to, you know, see us break away from that. I mean, I don't even, I don't see the point um, personally. Um, but yeah, I think it would be um, received badly. And um, I think they would regret it. You talk about fans being mobilised there. And, and one way we've seen that with the pay-per-view games, which, it's been fantastic to see has been the charity not pay-per-view campaign 
um, which has been obviously on the back of what Marcus Rashford's been doing as well. Uh, with this on the side of that as well, you know, doing a lot for local communities as fans are, instead of paying for pay-per-view matches, are donating to the local food banks. Uh, it's an area that both you are very much involved in and, and sort of see day to day in your in your personal lives, and and you know you you volunteer and help, and and it'd be good to get your your thoughts on this as well. I mean, Kerry, firstly, you yourself, you know, what's been your what's been your response to how fans have mobilised and, and started this campaign and, and and you know raised so much money for the for the local communities? Yeah, so um, I guess it goes a little bit further back for me. Um, I've always been kind of involved in community in Birmingham um, to a certain level. But a few years ago, I saw on Twitter, actually, that um, Newcastle fans, Liverpool and Everton fans were organising uh, this fan supporting food banks initiative. So I went up and met those guys at St. James's Park and was like, OK, right, we need to get the Midlands like fan base on board. We've got so many fans of different clubs in the Midlands. And the idea was that, you know, how where else are you going to get like 40,000 people going every other week? Um, so if they could all bring like a tin or donate a quid, then, you know, we could really help out the food banks. Now, when um, we heard about the prices of PPV and, you know, everyone was like, we're not paying that, we're not paying that. In our WhatsApp group that we have for fans supporting food banks, we were like, right, what can we do? Um, how are we going to turn this into a positive, um, you know, for football fans? Because on the other hand, I always feel like football fans have been given a bit of a bad rep. Like, you know, we're all hooligans, we're all out to cause trouble, that sort of thing. So actually having them put that frustration into action as a positive um, is great. Um now, in terms of the Villa fans, they've already supported the food bank, um, I think, for a few years now. And so once I started, you know, putting out a few tweets, people were really keen to kind of run with it. And I think pretty much every Premier League club, um, even some of the lower league clubs who aren't even affected by PPV, have just had so many frustrated fans that they're also like seeing large amounts of money being donated. Um, yeah, it's great to see. I mean, I'd just like to make a point here around, you know, um, none of this, what we're talking about here is anything to do with politics or anything to do with, uh, you know, whether you're right or left or conservative or Labour or Liberal Democrats if they still exist. Uh, you know, it's, it's more about, it's more about right and wrong and, and your local community. And, and, and this is what we're talking about. And, and Chris, you know, obviously you're not in the Birmingham community, but still in your own local community. You're, you're obviously heavily involved in the similar type of thing that the Kerry's doing. I mean, what's been your experience of what's going on in the world? Because, you know, from, speaking of personally as my experiences, you know, I came from a working class background in Birmingham. I was, I was born and raised in Borsalith and before we moved to, to Leamington, uh, you know, our, you know, we were, we were poor, you know, we were council house and, 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 you know, we saw poverty around us, but as kids, you never really saw it. You never really thought about it. You know, you just got on with life and, and, you had you had a great life really as a kid. It was you're you're sort of ignorant of it all. Uh, but as you get older, you, you see it more and more, and and you see food banks on the rise and, and see what's going on in the country, especially with you know the uh, end you know poverty for, for children campaign as well. Uh, I mean, Chris, what what's your experience of what's going on in your lo local community? Do you think there's a real problem around food banks? Because obviously there's a, there's a bit of a dismissive attitude about food banks, saying well you know it's a parent's responsibility. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, where I live now in Pembroke is, uh, I think it's the second highest child poverty rate in the in the Wales area. So 
they are a very, they're a great organisation. They're called Patch. They're very, very, very busy. And I don't do as much as Kerry does, but I've done a few of school uniforms and a selection boxes at Christmas. And you see the work they put in, it's absolutely crazy, the amount of food parcels they give out. And it's been really good to see the Rashford campaign. I hope that clubs and players realise the power they have. Because the mobilisation, like Kerry said, like mobilising is so, it would be a lot easier if, if all football fans come together and support Rashford. And then you saw the Leeds squad adding, if more squads can add and so on and so forth. I think it'd be brilliant. And Kerry, you're, you're obviously involved in the local community and you've seen what's going on in Aston, as an example, which is obviously the the, the local community to, to Villa um, uh, and, and sort of the poverty there. I mean, what what have been your experiences and, and you know, if, I mean, do you have any stats that, that you can sort of help explain to, to people and listeners out there who are a little bit unaware of what's going on? Uh, and it's hard not to be unaware because, you know, if, you know, uh, you know, if you're if you're living a certain lifestyle, whether it's you know, working class, middle class, upper class, whatever it is, you know, you might be unaware of what's going on in those communities. Uh, and it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way life is. But, but just for those listeners to understand what is actually going on in, in our local community, our club's local community. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think probably, I mean, don't be so hard on people. Like lots of people just walk into Villa Park and they go and enjoy the game and then they get in their car and go home again. Um Lots of people are probably unaware of just how deprived the area is. Um, so there's 16 wards in Aston, Neachels and Washwood Heath, which the food bank serves. And all of those are in the top 1% of deprived areas within the country. Um, I think the poverty rate is around 47, 48%. So that's nearly half of people in the area living within poverty. Um, on average, they have around £37 a week to live on, um, which is... You know, you've got people at the moment on Twitter saying, well, you can make a meal for 55p, but <laughs> so frustrating. But <laughs> you haven't factored in like, you know, rent, um, if they have to get to work, do they do they have a bus, bus pass? Do they use um, the train from Aston? Um, you know, electricity, fuel, um, school clothing, uniform, that can be a big expense, um, especially, you know, in the summer holidays when people are having to feed their children and buy school uniform for the next year there's so many other expenses that you know when you think about 37 pounds like would would you fit your daily expenses into that probably not let alone weekly um so yeah people are probably a little bit disconnected from what's right there outside the club um it's interesting thinking about Aston because way back it was actually a very rich area um, obviously you'll have seen Aston Hall you know stately home um, Aston Manor Aston wasn't part of Birmingham it's had its own council um, it was completely you know countryside um, yeah <laughs> so when people became more mobile they moved out of Aston they obviously took their money with them as well and if you think about a match day experience when you're going you're spending money at Aston Villa um, you might buy a burger from a burger van that's come into that area. You're not spending money in Aston. So people always say, well, oh, they've got like a massive Premier League club in their community, but it's completely disconnected to the community around it. But do you think that's the reason why not not many of the local community are Aston Villa fans? So a lot of a lot of Aston Villa, and this is a criticism the Blues fans give us, are, are no longer in Birmingham or not from Birmingham. 
Um, and to an extent, that, that might be a little bit true. Uh, there's certainly most people are Brummies originally, whether they moved out or not. It doesn't, I don't think it really matters. But we don't really see the local inner city community uh, supporting the local club. Um, and they tend to be so Man United, Liverpool fans, maybe Man City now. Uh, I mean, do you think a lot of that is to do with the disconnect they have with their with their with their local club, or do you think it's more to do with the fact that those clubs are successful in, in their own right? Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both. So um, the first thing is that um, people within Aston, if you speak to um, the locals, they'll tell you actually the club um, or match days particularly are very disruptive to their way of living. Like imagine, you know, your road gets shut every weekend. You can't park in your normal parking spot. Um, there's loads of extra people around. You can't get on a train because the queue's like down the road. Um, it's very disruptive for people living in the area. Um, and I feel like that does come with, you know, having the club on your doorstep. Um, and also because of kind of the history of Aston and when the Aston Expressway was built and, you know, a lot of council housing then came into Aston, people move there and then they better themselves and move out, which, you know, people want to be upwards socially mobile. Um, so, yeah, people probably do look to support other clubs, more successful clubs, or they might not even be from the area initially themselves. They just move in and then move back out again. Um I think probably there are things that the club can do um, to try and, you know, connect more with the community. There used to be, you know, when I remember when I was younger, like kids for a quid, that sort of thing, um, or giving local schools perhaps like tickets for games. Um, I know the foundation do do some work on that front now, but obviously that's still fairly new um, with how it's been traditionally. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think you make you make an interesting point there. And I remember back in the Randy Lerner days that they did something because obviously a lot of the local community are, are Muslim, as an example, of um, Pakistani or Bangladeshi descent, um, because that's just the makeup of of that local community, and that's just the way the world works. You know, uh, once one family moves into that local community from and they come from a different country, then it tends to be other families move with them and the people that know from the same village, etc. And that's just just human nature more than anything else. But because of that, and over time, over since the 70s, that's what's happened. You have these commun- Asian communities there in the inner city, especially things like, things like Sparkbrook uh, and Lazelles and, and obviously Aston as well. Uh, and I remember Randy Lerner days, they did a, a scheme where they actually made a certain section of a stand. They served halal food, no alcohol to try and get the local community, which was actually really welcomed, I remember. And there was a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of interest and demand from, from the local community to get in there. I mean, obviously, that's you know that's not something you can do on, on an ongoing basis, and I don't think anyone expects that. But Chris, I mean, Kerry touched upon some of the things that they they can do. Do you think there's there's a, there's an onus on the club to do that to connect with those local fans? And because there's such a massive area in Birmingham in the West Midlands that there's an untouched fan base for, for the club where they can increase the fan base. Um, do you think there's more they can do? And also, what do you think of, of other organisations that are associated with Villa? So we're talking about uh, the Villa Foundation, uh, but also I think uh, organisations like the Villa Trust as well, which uh, which which were involved and obviously have a presence in, in terms of having a, a say with the club and uh, and getting time with the club. What do you think those those kind of uh, organisations can do? I think uh, the foundation. I don't. You know, I could never knock them. They do a lot of good work. I mean, you say about the Randy Lerner days. I mean, how much praise did we get for the for the acorns on the shirt, stuff like that. I couldn't see that happening in today's Premier League. And then you've got, you know, you've got to be inclusive to the fans, like the Muslim fans, the Sable fans. We've got to get, use the foundation to include 
people from different backgrounds and the fans have got help with that too. I mean, you know, we've got to, we've got to make sure Villa Park is a place where everyone can go, everyone can afford to go, and everyone can have a good time. Uh, I mean, on that, that's a good point, Chris. You make there about affordability, and um, you know, I think a lot of revenue that clubs get now is, is centered around the, the TV revenue, definitely. Uh, but there's still obviously revenue that they get from people being in the stands and buying food, buying merchandise, buying kits. Although it doesn't make up, uh, you know, it doesn't make up a huge proportion of the total revenue as it did say 20, 30, 40 years ago uh, with the TV revenue coming in. It's still a massive part of their revenue. Uh, I mean, Kerry, do you think that because of those reasons, because the makeup of revenues changed for clubs, do you think there's a responsibility from the clubs to you know, make things more affordable for, for and more accessible for, for fans now in this modern age? Yeah, I mean, I think we saw a little bit of this when it was the um, away fan ticket cap. Um, I don't know if you go to away games, but yeah, it actually so happened to be the season we were relegated, so we couldn't make the most of it. But... The uh, twenty twenty <laughs> campaign. Yes, was yeah. it was. I think it they capped it for the Premier League at thirty in the end, but um, yeah, so that was you know a starting point because sometimes, um, and I found it particularly in the Championship. Actually, you'd be going to grounds. And they'd be charging like 50 quid for an away ticket, which is outrageous when you think about it. Um, so they have tried to do things like this before. And I just don't think it's ever got, you know, enough teeth to kind of go further. But it does show that there's an opportunity there. Um, so perhaps we'll see more of that in the future. I would love to see that happen with things like kits and merchandise. Because, I mean, if you look at, say, the Elite shirt, that is outrageously priced if you had to buy, say you have three children or something. Like, pff, what I hit to the pocket. I mean, it's just me here on my own and like, I wouldn't buy that for that price. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Chris, 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 what do you think? It, well, I mean, yeah, you, you, you say that's a really good point, Chris. I mean, can you only imagine what it's like for, say, uh, maybe like a single mom working who's got two or three kids who support Villa who, who want the latest kit, who want the latest signing on the back of their shirt, who want the latest training gear, all the latest Villa pajamas or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the club decides to put the crest on, you know, how do you think it makes them feel and how how accessible the game is to them? It just it it leads them out, doesn't it? Because then it, then we don't get as much passionate Villa fans in the area because they, you know, the, your first kit is like a big exciting thing, and if you miss out on that, you know, you don't get the passion for it. I mean, some of the prizes on the club shop are, are insane. I know it's every club, but we support Villa, so we've got to push them. You know, you say like organisations like the Trust. They should be all over this. No one should be paying £70 for a Villa tracksuit that probably costs like £5 to make. Crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really is. And and another thing that I uh, I, I, uh, I sort of saw back in the early days of, of lockdown and, and an article around this, and, and something that hasn't really been discussed is, is Villa as a club. And, and, you know, we don't want to be too critical of Villa because it's our club at the end of the day, but we want we want our club to be the best when it comes to these sort of things. And they do a lot already. You know, don't get me wrong, Aston Villa have always been a great club when it comes to the local community and, and things like Acorns and, and, the, and the work footballers do. You know, I, you know, I work with footballers on, on, on a working basis personally and, and I get to see what, what they're like away from the game. And, and there's a lot of work and a lot of charity work that they do you know, things like visiting hospitals and things like that that you never see talked about, you never ever see publicised. You know, there's a lot that they do. But also, you know, there's still a lot more that we can all do. And one of the things I saw in the early part of lockdown was that actually um, not many clubs pay a living wage to their employers, uh, to their employees, sorry. 
uh, and that's an area the villa do fall down on uh, i mean Kerry, do you think that there's i mean how 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 can we get the club to to be better those types of things and improve and even though they're doing so many great things how, how do we get them to improve and do even better yeah, so um, I was having a conversation with somebody about um, this sort of thing uh, just last week, actually, and they told me that um, in the Doug Ellis days that um, the staff in the ground on match days were actually people from the local community were given preference um, so they could sign up to uh, work on the kiosk or, you know, um, programme sales or something. And I don't know if that still happens now, but I feel like that would definitely be an easy way to connect directly to the community around you. Like they're, they're giving job opportunities, which um, in Aston and Eachel's area are few and far between sometimes. Um, so that's just one thing of note. But then with the living wage, <laughs> I mean, I definitely think where possible we should be pushing on this as much as we can because with all of this um, this year and what's happened, you know, people going on to furlough and dropping down, then people are seeing just how impossible it is to live on any less than they already have if they are living at all um, on that fee at the moment. So, you know, to be paying people a living wage where they can actually afford to to live is uh, crucial. I mean, I don't see how the club can shy away from that, really. I mean, I think one thing that this um, pandemic has, has shown is that there's so many people out there in this country, a country that's one of the richest countries in the world, one of the most developed economies in the world, uh, and, and and I really think one of the best places to live in the world as well, in my opinion. You know, we've seen how many people in this country are just one bad decision, one bad paycheck, one one you know one pandemic away from being in in total poverty uh, and being on the breadline. You know, they're they're really struggling, and and there's people who you know may may even have, live in a nice house and a nice car, but you know it's just the way that money is and the way the economy works and way way people work that. It's just it's just one bad one bad piece of luck could really impact their lives and, and, and completely change it for the worst. Yeah, and I feel like um, you know, even if people do live in fancier houses, drive fancier cars, like it's at a higher expense. So what people always think is, oh, just because somebody has all these things, they still might be living paycheck to paycheck. They're just paying out more. So they lose their job or their income gets slashed to 67% or whatever the new scheme is now. And suddenly it's like, well, what do I get rid of? Do I stop paying the mortgage? Do I, you know, get rid of my car? Like these people still have similar things to think about. Um, A lot of the time I feel like um, it's the standard, like keeping up with the Joneses almost like, oh, they've got an amazing life. But behind the scenes, it isn't like that. And having... Um, worked at the food bank now for quite a while we see people from all walks of life Um, there is no stereotypical food bank user it's not just um, you know single mums or people who don't work or people who have had their benefits sanctioned you know we've had people who very good quality of life but literally just don't have the money for food that month Um, and I think that this pandemic has actually opened a lot of people's eyes to just how yeah, like you say, how just one step or one paycheck away a lot of people are from from that borderline, you know, that not poverty as such, but from that crisis mode. I mean, Chris, what do you think? What do you think football can do, and what do you think Villa can do? Do you think there's any sort of responsibility on on football clubs as a whole? Because obviously they're they're a separate business; they're in their own world uh, in this current state of what the Premier League is and what football is. Do you think they have any responsibility at all to to help? their local communities and, and help make people's lives better um, at all in their local community? 
Yeah, I definitely think Villa should be paying a living wage. I think any anything that's billionaire-owned should be paying a, a higher wage. You shouldn't be able to use people's labour on minimum wage. And we've got two billionaires, so I know personally as a businessman, but the trust, this is where the trust and us fans come in. We've got to push stuff like a living wage. We've got to push like help in the community. You see teams like Edison do it, and we do do great things. No one knows more than me how valuable Acorns was to... To Villa, I've got family experience of Acorn, so I know, I know I don't want to come across like I'm bashing them, but there is a lot of work to do, especially now we've got these new owners that are going to be here for years. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's bashing anyone really. I think yeah, you know, we want we 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 want what's best for our fans and what we exactly. want best for, for we'll our community. An example as well. Exactly, yeah, and and this isn't like I said, this isn't about right or left or yeah. politics or anything like. That. It's about right or wrong and doing what's best for the people around you. You know, I, I personally was brought up, regardless of who the person next door is, that's your neighbour and that's your first priority. Exactly. You know, that, that's your per- that's your person you first look to. If there's money to give and charities to give, they're the person you look to first to see if they need it first. And that's the way I've been brought up. And that's the way I think a lot of people have been brought up in this country. And and that's what we need to get back to. And, and football is, you know, yes, it's, it's a bit disconnected, as Kerry said, but it used to be so, it used to be a massive part of the community. It used to be the lifeblood of the community. And, and I get it, not everyone likes football, but for the mass majority of people in this country, that, that it's an important part of their lives. As Kerry said, you know, that that's what they look forward to in the weekend still for a lot of people, regardless of what socioeconomic background they've got now. You know, that's still part of their life. And I mean, Kerry, I mean, before we sort of close off for the night, um, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to hear you, how you think we should take this forward and what two or three things we can do as fans, but also what the club can do and what football can do to, to try and improve people's lives. Yeah, um, I think one thing just to um, touch on is that you've mentioned a couple of times now, you know, it's not right versus left or anyone's um political views and the way that I've always seen it is um, a thing called community organising so if there's a problem within your community then organise your community to to solve that problem Um, whatever that might be or however that looks is different depending on the product uh, the product the problem and um, the community and so for us as a community of Villa fans no matter where we are based around the world it is up to us to push the club to solve that problem so if it's the living wage that you know we all agree people should be being paid then we have to put pressure on the club to do that whether that is through um you know supporters fan groups uh, things like these podcasts like the more voices that we get out there um the better that is um you know whether it's just mentioning it in um, articles or you know even in discussions around games etc just dropping that in there just keeping that pressure on and um, getting the trust to put it forward I feel like as fans as our community that's how you enact change yeah no that's an excellent point and very true very very true very poignant as well and and, and Chris I mean your, your final thoughts on, on everything that we've discussed obviously we've gone through a lot here and, and this is quite a serious topic and, and like I said no one's bashing anyone you know we just want the best for, yeah. for everyone I mean how do you think what would you like to see uh, you know if, if, if you're speaking to me as a fan as an example and you said Omar if you want to make people's lives better and you want to get your club to to be better this is what you need to be doing what would you say to, to me I think the living wage would be a good start and be it set an example with ticket prices and kit prices and stuff like that. Like set an example, be it, become everyone's favourite second club, be you know, oh that's the Villaroo 
they have the cheap kits or that's the villa who have the cap season tickets and stuff like that. Just just set an example now and get everyone, you know, we all we all love Villa Twitter, everyone mobilised. You know, look at look at what Rashford's done with just with his Twitter account really and his hard work. And we can mobilise and we do have the power to enact change at the club. And we can make it even better than it already is. Yeah. Yeah. Ask some some wise words there. I mean, I mean, just playing devil's advocate, Kerry. I mean, do you, do you think it's? I mean, I've heard some fans say this, and, and they're well in their within their right of saying this. That if you want Aston Villa to be successful um, uh, in their own right and continue to push up and progress as a club, especially with what's going on with the big picture stuff and, and teams looking to break away, you know, we we need to be treat. We need to see ourselves as a business. And if you want new signings, then you know there needs to be a certain amount of of thinking like a business and being profitable, but do you think there's a do you think there's a balance to be had between you know chasing the dollar as they say, or and being equitable and being uh, you know uh, ethical? I suppose is a way of putting it in the community. Yeah, I think for me, success should be shared. Um, so if we're going to be a successful club, which we all want Aston Villa to be, I mean, I love nothing more than when we are flying high. Um, then I want to see that success shared. Um, so if we're going to reach, you know, whatever heights we are, then it's about not forgetting actually where you are based and what is around you. And I think so many times that's really easy for clubs to do. They just forget about what's, you know, literally outside their window. And, um, yeah, I guess the final thing to say, yes, clubs are a business, but they're a business like no other, no other type of business has that like I said at the beginning that tribal kind of customer fan base Um, and I hate calling them customers but essentially yes they are a business we are customers but we're more than that we are fans and I think to disconnect yourself from that will just bring down your success very good. No, very good and very well put. And I, and I, I don't think there's much more to be said on that. I think that's a great way to, to end the show. You know, that I think that point around success being shared is, is so vital and so important. You know, this is not about uh, Edens, and, uh, Edens and Suarez, and, and I don't think they're like this anyway, but them growing the club and then selling the club on and making a big profit or, you know, the club making revenues and agents getting their fees. This is about the fan base and this is about the community and this is about seeing ourselves as one. Um, not just Aston Villa fan base as one, but also just the wider football community and, and the country as a whole, really. Uh, you know, we want what's best for all of us at the end of the day. And I think this attitude of, you know, I'm worried about myself and making sure I'm doing the right thing and, and I, I'm getting by and, and I'm succeeding in life rather than worrying about anyone else is is an attitude that we need to hopefully step away from. And, and I definitely think football is, is one way where we can do that and, and a, a definitely a tool, I would say, that uh, where we can enact change and that can impact the, the rest of the world, as we've seen with, with what Marcus Rashford's done. Exactly, um, yeah. And the impact he's had. So on that note, um, you know, i just like to say Firstly, a real big, big thank you to you both for giving up your time um, to talk about some of these more serious issues. And, and you know, at Villa Talks podcast, you know, we do tend to focus on games and Aston Villa a lot. And, and I think this is important as well to Villa as, as a whole. But we do like to, you know, talk about some of the more serious issues because it's it's relevant to all of us and it's an important issue as well. We don't want to shy away from it. And And, and to have two people like yourselves who are doing so much in the local communities is, is a real honour to have you both on. So I can only firstly thank you and, and just appreciate the, the time you've put in and, and sort of the experiences you've shared today. So thank you both. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.
Yeah, Thank really you, appreciate Kerry. it. Uh, and uh, and just as I said before earlier on in the show, Kerry will be on the, the I think it's probably going to be ABFC Extra or Claren Blue. I never know which one's which, but um, she'll be on there to give a bit more insight into what she's doing in the local community. And and the more, as Kerry said earlier, the more we can get that message out there, the more voices that can be heard, the better, um, and the better impact it will have as well. So please do listen out for that and check that out. Chris, thank you for your time, mate. Um, yeah, thank you very uh, much. Uh, uh, thankfully, not too much interference from all the way from Wales uh, yeah. today. <laughs> so we can hear you clearly. It wasn't a too long distance of a call. Uh, I'm the podcast king now. Nil of the <laughs> <laughs> no, onwards and upwards, mate. You need to improve your mic, though, mate. I, I definitely <laughs> think that. <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah well, maybe we'll get you on if you come back on the show, mate. Um, oh. <laughs> Kerry, you're you're always on the on the headset, aren't you, because of your work? So uh, I think your audio was perfect. But but, but uh, Chris, that's what we need to aspire to be, mate. Just FYI. Getting there, I'm getting there. <laughs> but no, thank you both, and uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. A little bit different to what we normally do, but I hope it, the messages are there. You know, we're not trying to bash anyone. We're not trying to be negative or anything like that. We just want what's best for everyone. Uh, and hopefully we've come up with some potential solutions as well, what we can do as, as fans, but as a club as well, and how we can impact our own club uh, to improve things. And, uh, you know, hopefully this campaign that Marcus Rash was going doesn't need to exist anymore uh, in the future, you know, doesn't, and food banks don't need to exist anymore. And we don't need to have these conversations anymore that's in the, the future. And that's the goal. And that's where we want to end up. Yeah, definitely. So th- thank you both again. Uh, we'll be back later on this week. So we're doing uh, a special edition of the Late Night Ramble. We're going to be doing, uh, finally doing the, the uh, as it's coming to the end of Black History Month, we're going to be doing our top five black players to play for Aston Villa. Uh, Chadzi, Deckers and Jugsy will be with me. Uh, and that will be coming out Friday, I think. Um, we might, if we can sort it out, do that as a YouTube video. And that'll be our first ever YouTube video. Um, we're not big fans of, of showing our faces, unfortunately. So you'll have to you'll have to make deal with that. But but watch out for that. We'll also preview the Southampton game as well and get back to talking about football, which I know you will all enjoy as well. But again, thank you both. And uh, apart from that, up the villa. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it.